those are those moments where something that's burst inside of you and says, can you go away from the social norm to chase that, to find out what that meaning is? Because there's a whole Rolodex of character building, a whole Rolodex of you know relationships that you're going to build and the person that you're going to become is just sitting there waiting for you. And it's already written into your DNA. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast brought to you by CCB Technology. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and this is the podcast where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. So join me as I work to figure this leadership thing out on purpose. This week's episode is with Michael Laren, and it's part one of a two-parter. I couldn't get everything into part one. He is a professional BMX rider, an X Games medalist, a friend of mine personally and my family, and an all-around great guy, crazy humble, and uh, he has reached the pinnacle of, of his craft in his area. Um, he's doing fantastic things, but in part one, I wanted to hear what sacrifices did he need to make in order to achieve his dream, and then also, what role does fear play throughout that process of actually being good and then trying to be good enough against other people from around the world. So without giving part one completely away, here it is, my conversation with Michael Laren, professional BMX rider and all around awesome guy. This is a first for me, uh, interviewing a, a hometown success who is also a friend from I don't even know if it was 10 or 15 years ago, um, but I'm so glad we get to do this. And we're already laughing about stuff, making fun of uh, how I should change my voice for the podcast. So I appreciate that, Michael. Um, I really appreciate you uh, taking time to do this, but then also being patient with the with the setup and all that. No, totally, man. I appreciate you having me. This is going to be really cool. So um, I, I'm very familiar with you, but I always like to start off by framing who it is that I'm interviewing, who I'm talking to. So please give a rundown of who you are and what you do professionally. Uh, so yeah, my name is Michael Laren. Um, uh, early 30s right now. I've been so uh, privileged to ride BMX bikes uh, professionally now for uh, a number of years. It's probably, I think, going on close to 10 years, actually, 2019. Yeah, so 2009, got on the pro circuit, and uh, it's just a, a huge blessing, man. I think that, you know, at the core of what we do, if you have the ability to do what you love for a living, um, you know, you're way ahead of the pack, and um very blessed and fortunate to to be able to say I, 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 I can do that. So um, it's just, it's crazy. I'm at the uh, peak of, you know, my gratitude and happiness. And I know that's just going to keep amplifying as the years go on. Yeah. And a, a couple of things that you've already said, uh, the announcers, when I was watching you recently, uh, a couple of the announcers on ESPN were saying, this guy just exudes you know, happiness and gratitude and uh, positive energy and all that kind of stuff. So um, what you just described is what other people that maybe they know you, maybe they don't um, are saying while you're while you're riding on TV. But before we get to that stuff, um, I, I want to hear a little bit more about what you just said. So what has what was it or what has it been that, that helped you separate from the pack and go from uh, a hobby rider to what you do now professionally? Okay, so there's a, a a few things here. So um, when I was younger, I was in the mix of everything. Like I was uh, running track, wrestling, playing basketball, had all the stuff that uh, school was sports, and uh, and it was awesome. But there wasn't this elite type uh, mindset or approach to that. Um, 
those were almost more hobbies. And same with music. And music was one of those things that I identified with as well. Um, but for some reason, I don't know what it was. It was BMX. Um, back in 1998, uh, they built Racine Skate Park. And leading up to that, my brother and I, I mean, we had built like, you know, cinder block plywood ramps like nothing crazy as being kids you know oh yeah but sure there was something that was so infectious about that and him and i both uh you know we'd race outside in the nice season uh in wisconsin and just go nuts with that stuff so um aside from you know playing hoops there was i mean there's only so many ways you can shoot a basketball you know Mm -hmm. and that is a creative outlet don't get me wrong like i'm not you know shooting that down but with skateboarding or bmx riding or inline skating like growing up there, I mean, it was limitless because we didn't know what was possible. Uh, social media at that point really wasn't a thing. Internet really wasn't a thing. That was kind of just coming out uh, previous to 98. So um, it was one of those things where we just didn't know. Um, nowadays, you're flooded with this information. So um, so we go back to, you know, say 1992, you know, I'm very young. At that point, I'm only like mm-hmm. five years old. Um I just learned how to ride a bike with no training wheels and going nuts with it. It was awesome. I'm trying to keep up with my older brother. And I knew right then it became uh, very prevalent that it was like this instinctual thing that was just a part of my DNA. And I don't know like how to describe that other than just a God given gift. And there's a difference between talent and skill. At that point I had the God given talent skill uh, became just repetition, just beating on my craft. And up to the you know point in, say, 2009, where uh, I did my first pro contest um, on, like, a big, big platform, um, that was so – I just – it was just putting in the hours. Like, I never looked at it as work or anything like that. It was just something that I really, really enjoyed. And to tie that together to, to put a bow on it was uh, in middle school, my grandfather had said – he quoted Confucius saying, yo, man, you do what you love. You'll never work another day in your life. I was too young to understand it at the time, but as I got older, I started to identify that again and again and again to the point where, you know, say in college, like I dropped out to pursue BMX. So those are those moments where, uh, you know, it's like God bridges that gap between something that's burst inside of you and says, can you go away from the social norm to chase that, to find out what that meaning is? Because there's a whole Rolodex of character building, a whole Rolodex of um, you know, relationships that you're going to build and the person that you're going to become is just sitting there waiting for you. And it's already written into your DNA. So those are those like very tactful, uh, potent moments that have kind of brought me to present day. Okay. And there was, there's something that you just mentioned that I don't know if uh, many people that I've spoken with as I'm like, hey, turn on TV, you got to see Michael's on there, um, that you dropped out of school to pursue this. So Talk about that a little bit. What was uh, what was the reaction of family, friends, that kind of thing? How, how, how did that whole thing go over? People thought I was crazy. Uh, <laughs> but it was, I mean, so I'm studying architecture, right? I, I found out that I loved that in third grade. Um, I went to Jane School Elementary. It was a year-round school. Um, it was almost like Hogwarts. Like that, that, that school was very old and had like this castle feel to it. It, it was pretty neat. So um, in the curriculum, it was a very creative uh, base and there was this tower that was attached to uh, a portion of the school and in those towers they would have these books and these sketch pads and all that stuff and I remember uh, a kid by the name of James McAllister I would hang out with this dude all the time and we'd just go in that back area if we finished our homework early and we could just draw time would just stand still when we're back there doing our thing and, and it was like you know drawing stuff that we liked tried to figure out you know 
how to draw new stuff. Then I fell in love with architecture. I'm like, oh, I just really love drawing buildings. This is neat. Uh, interior spaces, exterior spaces. Um, so the first chance I got my hands on a uh, architecture book, that I was hooked. You know, so in high school, take that class. I'm learning drafting. That was that was like the bee's knees, and uh, created a portfolio. I'm all stoked. Going to college, and they say that drafting is now outdated. AutoCAD came out, mm-hmm. and on the computer, I'd, I'd maybe touched AutoCAD program maybe once, and now I'm on that cutoff. Exactly when I graduated high school and I started to go to UWM uh, Milwaukee, uh, they had a really good program there, but they only wanted AutoCAD. And I get it. I mean, technology is like you know moving at rabbit's pace. I'm sure a turtle. So I just I wasn't proficient enough to to keep up, and I'm having to double up my days just to keep up with the computer stuff. I'm trying to teach myself all that. You know, lack of resources as far as like my computers concerned. Uh, finances were kind of dwindling down because now I'm doubled up with traveling 45 minutes every single day to and from school. And uh, it just it became very apparent that I had to figure that out. Now, meanwhile, all this stuff's going on and I'm still trying to ride bikes. So mm-hmm. I just prayed about it and I talked to a few friends about it. And I was like, I think I'm going to just go for it, man. Like uh, the books are going to be there. But, you know, this opportunity and my youth is not. So, uh, so I made a choice and, uh, you know, grateful and you know, blessed that it worked. <laughs> so. so you just went for it. And, um, I want to hear a little bit more about some of the other stuff that people don't see. So a lot of people don't see and don't hear, uh, when you win these awards, all the stuff that goes into you getting there. So taking the leap from, from college, uh, from one passion to another, as things are shifting around, uh, something else that I don't know if people see or understand is how many hours you've had to, um, mm. as you said, you know, work to get your craft to, to be where it's at. So if you had to guess, how many hours do you think that you've ridden a bike in the last 10 years? Oof, that's a very good question. You know, uh, or, least, or days. <laughs> yeah, days. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny because I just came off of a competition and I, I cruised back home and they lost my bike. And oh, so when I got and they found it, thankfully. But when I when I got home. Uh, and I showed up. I was I didn't have the intention on riding, but my subconscious was bummed. I was like, man, I would have really enjoyed riding today. And I just got done doing like everything under the sun. And I remember uh, a couple of guys hit me up like, yo, you gonna ride today? I was like, you know, I think I'm gonna take the day off. But this the second I realized that my bike was lost, I was bummed. I was like, man, that would have been cool to ride today. I mean, honestly, I take Sundays off sometimes, but otherwise uh-huh. I'm riding every single day, man. So. Hours, I mean, a typical session can go anywhere from like three to five hours. That's a lot, man. I mean, I'd have to bust out a calculator for that. But, oh, man, I mean, it's at least 25 hours a week. So that's, you know, 100, 100 hours or so a month. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. A lot of hours. A lot of yeah. hours. So you've been riding the last 10 years, six, seven days a week. Um, and a session, as you said, is considered what? Like for those of us that don't know BMX, what, what's a session? Multiple different things. So you got the skate park. And that's the you know traditional quarter pipes and wedge ramps and all that stuff. And then I also go down to uh, Trula Vista. They have the Olympic Training Center there. Uh, that's all uh, BMX racing. So it's just dirt jumps that are very manicured um, and tailored to uh, speed. So I can go there and do like cardio training. Um, then you have uh, like freestyle dirt jumps, and those are made to do tricks over similar to the skate park. Um, they have some of those down there, or I can go to uh, just a normal uh, concrete skate park. And so for those, artists have sculpted this concrete to ride a certain way. Um, that's one of the most plentiful 
uh, types of skate parks that are in California, uh, at least in Southern California. So, um, you know, I live in San Diego now, and I would say there's at least, I would say like 43 skate parks between here and LA. So you hear the, you know, the hype about California and, oh, Surfer Bro, all that kind of stuff. And then you see mm-hmm. it in the movies. And to be honest, like, it's really like that. Um, <laughs> people are laid back. They're having a great time. Yeah. People have the luxury of, you know, the weather. So um, mm-hmm. so it's amazing out here, man. So between those few things, uh, you could ride that. You can also ride, uh, you know, street. So you see stuff downtown and ledges that are kind of dirty. If you ever notice that or, or mm-hmm. there's wax on them, that's either skateboarding or BMX riding. Um, there's right and wrong ways to do it. Um, there's stuff that is made to ride. And then there's other stuff that, you know, you're, you're kind of, uh, you know, defacing public property yeah. when it comes down to, you know, certain things. So, um, I don't really ride street a ton, but my thing's more skate parks, the BMX racing okay. stuff. So you, you've ridden thousands of hours. You've, uh, done these sessions, uh, you know, six, seven days a week to really get good at what you do. Um, what role has fear or doubt played in your journey along the way? Oh, dude, that's a great question. There's two things. Um, doubt's real. Fear's fake. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is there's, there's a moment where you do doubt yourself, uh, I think, in anything in life. And if it's, you know, doubting yourself on whether or not the girl's going to say yes when you ask her out on, uh, on a date. If there is a doubt where, you know, you know the ball's going to get passed to you to do that final shot with a buzzer beater. Um, there's, there's these moments and say, you know, the buzzer beater moment. Uh, if you're playing basketball, in your heart of hearts, if the ball's coming to you, there's hopefully a subconscious switch where you're like, that's going in before it even mm-hmm. gets in your hands. Um, that's self-confidence. And I, I love the, the tactfulness of that. And um, on the flip side of that, like the fear side, we have a choice to make. And I think that the ball's been placed in many people's hands where that fear drops in, like, don't miss it. Before it even touches their hands. And it's already written in history before you even let it go. That it's gonna, it's not going in. You know, it's not gonna happen. So, um, I think fear is a great acronym: false evidence appearing real. Mm. And with that, there is this activation of material that comes into your life where it's something that you create. You know what I mean? Like danger's real. Don't get me wrong. Like that's a very, very real thing with what I do in action sports. But the fear aspect is something that is always gonna be there, and I just choose to embrace it. I'm like, all right, well, what am I scared of? Um, say like last week, you know, we were at X games and, uh, I'm, I'm dropping in on, on big air and the rolling on that one's nine stories, the gaps, uh, about 70 feet and then the quarter pipes, 27 feet. And before you finish that course, uh, before you go off that final jump, you're doing maybe 55 miles an hour. So, and that's on a BMX bike. So as far as fear is concerned, I think just the repetition kind of lowers the fear a little bit because you know what to expect to a degree, but the danger is always going to be there. So for me, I'm like, all right, false evidence appearing real. Like what, what can I be afraid of? Like uh, my tire blowing out. Like if that happens, maybe not a if, but a when it happens, like um, my, my skill that I've beat into this craft for thousands of hours for years over and over and over uh, will keep me safe. Not only that, but just, you know, staying prayed up before I, drop in um just having my know-how of you know my body position and the physics of what i'm doing understanding full inside and out of my craft like what does it take for me to excel i mean i gotta yeah. be a nerd i gotta be a nerd about it so sure um so fear's an aspect for sure but i embrace it and then i just kind of push that to the side and do it anyways and then 
the doubt aspect is just more so uh, it's a part of it. But, you know, the, the older and wiser you get, the less doubt gets the chance to creep in at any point, you know. So both those things can be in the equation if you let it. But I'm usually like, no, nah, I'm going to just write my own over here and just square up with, you know, you know what God's blessed me with and just kind of go after it. So you do it even when you're scared and nine stories up, which <laughs> I know you breezed over that and we're, I want to hit more of that in a second, but <laughs> that helps to, to frame things. So then on the flip side of that, for me, um, I, I'm interested to know what role then has gratitude and optimism played in your journey? Oh man, that's huge. So uh, the gratitude comes from adversity. If there's adversity, it provides uh, meaning and value to what you've gone through. I think most people, um, it's like you don't know what you got until it's gone kind of thing. And I've been stripped multiple times by life. Um, and this is one of those things that um, it, it really kind of just woke me up. Um, a lot of my travels um, have given me the opportunity. Uh, you know, we do uh, presentations for the troops overseas. And we're on base hanging out with these guys. We're in Iraq. We're in Af uh, Africa and um, in these really wild places. And, and one of them, we're in Ethiopia. I thought like growing up was like, you know, we didn't have it that, that good. But then upon my first trip to Ethiopia, I'm like, that's real poverty. Mm -hmm. That's what real poverty looks like. I got nothing to complain about. Not that I was complaining in the beginning of it, but it's like anything that I thought I had it hard with is nothing compared to what these people are going through. They don't even have clean water to drink. Like some of these women have to walk two and a half miles just to get two pails of water and then walk them all the way back. And that's for one day. Mm-hmm. You know, so five miles a day just to drink water. And here we are, you know, just straight from the tap. Sure. You're good, you're good to go. You know, so yeah. upon all these different things, I'm just like, wow, man, this is this is such a, uh, a gratifying uh, experience just because I understand the bigger picture now. So gratitude's been uh, harnessed through adversity. Gratitude's been harnessed through experience. And then gratitude's been harnessed through action. So all these things like I wake up and I can just step out of bed. I can see I got clothes on my back. I got a roof over my head. I have clean water to drink, a refrigerator. I got electricity. I got lights, mm. clothes. Like all, you know what I mean? Like it's just, it's crazy to think about those things. And most people breeze past you because it's like a normal thing. Yeah. You know? So I encourage people to, uh, you know, step outside of their comfort zone and, and get to a place where you don't know the language, maybe to travel somewhere like that and mm. to see some real grit. Because when it comes down to it, man, like that's, most of the world, you know, and we're very privileged to be here in the States, all politics aside, it's one of those things where we have the freedom to exercise what we believe, exercise being able to like meet a friend at a coffee shop and go to dinner and all these different things like this luxury style of living because in Ethiopia or, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, like these people are fighting for their lives and most people don't see that just because we're, we're over here living, you know, so um, that's why the gratitude has been harnessed into what I do with BMX. I want to say in that too, like gratitude is also harnessed through my humility. Mm -hmm. um, and so with the humility part of it too, it's like God's humbled me so many times, man. Not that it's ever, I've never seen it as uh, necessary. And that's just me being selfish where it's like, all right, well, I think I'm doing all right right now. God's like, you can do better. Mm -hmm. And I just crack up because I'm like looking around in my surroundings. I'm like, I mean, okay, but I'm chilling right now. Like I'm, I'm happy, you know? Yeah. And God's like, contentment's good. That's awesome. But same point in time, I need you over here. So you got to go through, you know, these three things or these four things. And it's going to be so hard and it's going to suck. But you're going to have substance for that person that you talk to in a year. 
and they might be going through something worse than you and you're going to be the catalyst that helps them bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. That's the bigger picture, man. That's, that's the type of stuff where it's like, I don't mind that I've you know, been homeless before. I don't mind that I've dropped out of college. I don't mind that I did all that stuff and had to get to this point of clarity to have this potency now when it comes down to my character, when it comes down to my faith, when it comes down to, um, you know, like these conversations, even with you, where it's like, like life is about communicating and how are we going to contribute to the conversation of whatever you're into? If it's food, music, sports, um, business, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're all contributing to some type of conversation and now we get to have this dialogue just based on stuff that you've gone through and I've gone through. All right, so I know that that was a little bit of a cliffhanger, but we don't want to, you know, have you not come back for a part two of the interview. I'm going to smash together the takeaway and the action item into the thing that Michael said about fear. Sometimes you just need to move. You just need to take action even when you're scared. The acronym that he used for fear, false evidence appearing real. When you figuratively or literally are getting the ball passed to you, in your professional life, in your home life, uh, don't give in to the failure that hasn't happened. Know that you're going to make the shot. False evidence appearing real. And don't let fear keep you from making a leap that you know you need to make. You're ready for it. Go for it. Do it. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Remember, part two coming back in a couple weeks So listen in. You're going to love it. You're going to hear some things probably you've never heard before. What is it actually like when somebody makes it? What happens in your brain and in your heart when you are at the pinnacle of your profession? Michael gets into that next time. Before I let you go, something I haven't done, and shame on me for not doing it more often, but I would like you to take a moment and subscribe to our podcast if you haven't yet. And if you have, but you haven't taken time to write a review, That's my favor and my ask of you. Write a review. It helps us reach more people and it helps us actually get better at what we're doing because as I said at the beginning, nobody drifts into excellence. So by you doing that, you're helping me do better at this thing. So until next time, from all of us here at CCB Technology, thanks for listening.